it's not a blame game. It's about, you know, okay, this is who I am and here's what I have to contribute. How can I mitigate that? From Spal Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. Welcome back to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney and so glad to have you with us today, whether you're working out or driving or doing chores around the house. I'm grateful to have uh, a conversation for you and with you today about a really, really important topic. Physicians have long been seen as healers in our society because of the education and training. Uh, they are looked up to as role models for health and wellness. But unfortunately, uh, you are often put in positions where you're not able to create the wellness or well-being that you want in life. And many doctors struggle with working long hours, being short-staffed, encountering systemic industry issues, or experiencing a toxic work environment, all of which can overwhelm and disillusion the most accomplished and passionate leaders. And with stress and burnout on the rise across the country, and especially in healthcare, what can be done to help give physicians back their sense of well-being? Uh, my guest today is Dr. Dale Waxman. Dr. Waxman is a recently retired professor of family medicine at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, and now the founder of Dale Waxman MD Coaching and Consulting and an executive coach with MD Coaches. And so he joins me in the studio today to talk about physician well-being. Dale, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Shane. Great to be here. So let's start with this, this topic of kind of your, your new job. Uh, you've gone from being a full-time clinician to now being full-time coach. How did you get into coaching? What makes that so appealing as your next chapter? Yeah, a great question. Um, it kind of emerges from my interest in the whole physician well-being and uh, burnout uh, piece. I got into that world uh, about 12 years ago in my job um, at Atrium Health. Accidentally, I gave a, uh, was asked to give a talk on physician burnout long before it was a household term. And I didn't know anything about it. And it really ne wasn't necessarily an area of interest, but I pursued it. I gave the talk and it just connected with people. And I was asked to do more uh, talks and workshops around that. And that kind of built on itself. And that led me to the International Conference on Physician Health in Boston in 2016. And um, while I was there, they had just a few exhibitors at this conference, about seven exhibitors, as I recall, three of them were coaching schools. And I went, what's that all about? Like coaching? And so anyway, in some of the breakout sessions, some of the physicians said, if you're into physician well-being and burnout prevention, you ought to look into coaching. And so I enrolled in a coaching institute and learned a lot about coaching from that and learned that it does indeed help kind of um, inform some of this work in the physician well-being world. As you researched for the talk that you were going to give back in 2009, I guess part of that just really revealed to you how much of a need there was for 
help amongst your colleagues on the topic of burnout and well-being and things? Well, certainly some of the research, but what really <laughs> triggered it was the responsiveness of the audience. You know, I've given lots of talks over my career and people ask questions and they say, what are we talking about here? But what emerged were people's stories. And then a lot of what emerged were people coming up to me afterwards or writing me or talking to me in the doctor's lounge. People who I'd never, never talked to me before said, you know, that talk that you gave that really connected with me. What do I do about it? So it really was more that um, the actual interaction, both during and after the talks on burnout, it just like you're talking about me right now. And so um, that's what kind of triggered it. That's what really fueled it. And a lot of your work in coaching has to do with addressing these issues, physician well-being, physician wellness, the the mental and emotional distress that kind of affects that. Can you tease out the vocabulary for us a little bit? How, what's the difference between physician wellness, physician well-being? What are they? What are they not? Sure. Yeah. So both of those terms get used a lot and they get used interchangeably. And what I'm about to say is my own kind of view about how we can differentiate those two. There is research going on in both of these areas. But the way I think about wellness is really it's our state of health and the things that we can do to improve our overall physical and mental health. So, for example, I mean, these are all evidence based. For example, we know that 150 minutes of moderate physical activity will reduce our chances of heart attack and stroke. Um, Being at a healthy weight does the same thing. If we um, drinking alcohol, a moderate amount actually improves our health, but too much excessive is a negative impact on our health. This objective data, we know that if you're doing these things, you really reduce your risk for some things, um, increase your risk for others. So it's really objective stuff, stuff that you can like easily change. Well-being is more on the subjective side of things. It's more of a subjective sense of how am I doing? How do I perceive my overall physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health? One way to illustrate that, you know, the, the well-being part, it was a study that was done over 30 years ago with dialysis patients. And they asked these 100 dialysis patients, how do you perceive your health? Most people know that if you're on dialysis, you usually have not just one chronic illness, you usually have lots of chronic illnesses. It is not easy being a dialysis patient. It is a full-time job. It's not easy. It's, you know, most of us who aren't on dialysis might sort of look at that and go, boy, this, that's challenging. They ask these dialysis patients how you perceive your health. The folks that, and then they followed them over five years. And five years later, they re-looked at the people who were uh, re-interviewed, those who were still alive. And the ones who had perceived their health highly, they said, I'm in good health. I mean, I am a dialysis, but I'm in good health. They were 50% more likely to be alive five years later than the people who did who had a sort of a low perception of health. So that's well-being. That's you know, it's a little hard to kind of define that, but that's well-being is that my subjective sense of regardless of the physical maladies, here's how I am. So we can have a high degree of we can have a very low state of wellness, like those dialysis patients, yet have a high degree of well-being, but also vice versa is also true. So we can have an average or high state of wellness 
but a very low degree of well-being. And that's actually what I see a lot in my coaching practice. I have lots of clients who are very physically active. They take yoga, they meditate, they get good sleep, they moderate, they don't smoke, <laughs> um, all those good things. And yet their overall whole life is, I just don't feel good about things. I'm disillusioned, uncomfortable, not great relationships with my family and colleagues and whatever. So that does that help differentiate the two? I think it makes total sense that in some ways I'm almost here in what you're saying and saying, if I feel there's a, a deficiency in my wellness, I might need to talk to a nutritionist or a trainer or something like this. But that well-being is my perception of how, how I'm doing in my soul almost. Yeah. And I guess given all that that medical providers are facing these days, I mean, between the the pandemic, which we've endured, or at least the, the the worst of it, perhaps we think is behind us, but then just the stresses of being in practice and medical records and, and medical system pressures and contracts and things like that. What can physicians do to, to improve or to impact their sense of well-being? Yeah, great question. And, and um, yeah, I'm sure there are some listeners who are <laughs> sort of like, if they tell me to be resilient one more time, I'm going to going to hurt somebody, you know, and it's not going to do another yoga course, you know, like that's not going to take a lot of that stuff away. So I will say to answer that is that there are still paying attention to well-being, even though there are all these external things going on around you, there are some ways to do that, which I can talk about right now about how to improve that overall sense of well-being. But before I get into that, I mean, the reason to do that is there's a few different reasons. One is, is that I have a better perception of how I'm navigating through the world. I will have uh, better relationships with the people that I'm working with, my patients and my family. But also it may lead you to realize maybe this isn't the right situation for me. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to change my situation so that my whole life is doing better. So there is this saying in the business of work-life balance, which I don't like, because work is part of your life. Um, and so I always look at the whole life part of this. So let me, let me just say, there's a couple, of, so a couple of models of well-being. The one that I draw the most from is from, from the University of Pennsylvania and um, Dr. Seligman, who really advanced this whole concept of positive psychology. And there's a thing called the PERMA model, P-E-R-M-A. And each one of those stands for something to cultivate. And I, I do workshops around this and I can, do you want me to go through that? Uh, yeah. Well, now that you've thrown down the acronym, I'm, I'm curious what it stands for. Sure. So uh, P stands for positive emotions. And it is, it's basically cultivating a sense of feeling good. And there's easy ways to do this. So, you know, you could sort of reflect on what went well today, but not just what went well today, but what was my part in having that go well today? That's also transmitted into something called gratitude journals, which you may have heard of. Um, that's what the gratitude journal is. You reflect on the, on the day, not just what went well, but what did I do to make that go well? That's one way to cultivate positive emotions. The E part is engagement, which is also known as flow. So all of us can relate to an activity where we just, we get absorbed in it and we lose total track of time. You know, whatever that is, it could be a hobby. It might even be your work. 
It might be reading. You get so focused and so absorbed in something that I just like, I thought it was only an hour, but it's four hours later. When I was a fellow, I used to be, used to do darkroom photography. And I said, I'm just going to go down to the darkroom for a couple hours. They came back up eight hours later. It's like, wow. So we all know what that feels like. And so to cultivate that is to, to identify what are those things in your life that bring engagement and flow and then do more of them and just find, find ways, carve out time to do that. The R is relationship. It's basically positive relationship. It's being authentically connected to others. So this is also about cultivating positive relationships. It's also about recognizing when a relationship is not positive for you. It actually pulls energy from you and finding ways to either mitigate that or to not be in that relationship. So cultivating positive relationship, one of the ways that I suggest people do that is to reflect on a a professional or personal relationship and uh, think about what is it that you add to that relationship that brings back something positive and what is it that comes back positive as a result. The M is meaning, and this is a pretty significant one. And meaning is, is what you are about, what you are doing, especially professionally, is it meaningful? Is it part of your purpose? Is it part of your path? And um, there are ways to kind of cultivate that. There are lots of different exercises like visualizations that you can do to understand, am I, am what am I doing? And is what I am doing, is this bringing meaning to my life? And I'll come back to that later. We can talk about what systems can do as well. And then finally, the A is achievement. And this is one that physicians have a hard time doing, but it's really just about celebrating a success, celebrating something that you did that um, was, was an achievement, that was something that, that you were able to accomplish. Everybody can do this. All of your listeners can do this. You may take for granted the things that you do and just say, you know, well, that's just part of my job. That's, that's what I do. But, you know, for somebody else, that might be very significant. And you need to recognize that what you did actually made a difference in somebody's life. And so, so celebrate that. Celebrate your achievements, even if there's little small things. So that's PERMA. That's the one that model that I mostly use. As you describe, you know, each each one of these attributes, and I was writing down as, as you were going here, but I think about the, the E and the R, the engagement with things that give you life and the R relationships. I guess what occurs to me is, is no wonder COVID has been so catastrophic for our collective psyche and for those in medicine, you not only were, were at the front lines of the stress through your profession, but our society was shut down, making it harder to form new or cultivate existing relationships or pursue you know, many types of engagement or hobbies or things like this. And so you're just almost literally just kind of burning the wick at both ends um, over these last couple of years. And, and I suppose it's been a time when, when it you know, the, those that, that need a, a resource like you to talk to and help navigate through our own psychology has been just invaluable. Yeah, well, I would agree. I think, I think the last couple of years has drawn us away from a lot of these pieces of well-being. And in some cases, it has drawn some people to recognize how important some of those parts are in their life. You know, um, the other part about being away from each other made people realize how important relationships were. You know, and so even though it's not, it wasn't in person, some people 
you know, you heard about people and we did in my own family. All of a sudden I'm on Zoom calls with my three brothers and like, we never did that before, even though, you know, and we're not even, in the, we never were in the same town, so, except when we were younger. So there's something about that, that, that there's some positives that happen there as well. But you're absolutely right. I think people got really, really, really cut off from each other and cut off from the things that do give them a sense of, of um, joy, meaning, and purpose. As well. Yeah. And so much, I think, in in just perhaps it's our society in general or business in particular, where this notion of, I'm thinking of uh, Stephen Covey's famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I think the first principle is just sharpen the saw um, coming from kind of the the picture of somebody sawing trees all day that if you don't stop to sharpen the saw you're using, it makes the work so much more difficult, but it's valuable to stop and sharpen the saw. I'm sure many people listening are familiar with that, but in society, it's not valued or it's often not valued to stop and care for yourself or to block yourself out of work or say, no, I'm unavailable or um, those sorts of things to either think or care for your own emotions, or pursue a hobby, or pursue relationships. Instead, you need to always be available, or always willing to serve, or volunteer, or whatever. And even good opportunities can be harmful to our own psyche if they're not intentionally pursued. So you bring up a great point. That's true for a lot of people, especially true for physicians, this issue of, again, you know, compassion. Most people enter medical school being pretty compassionate, so it's kind, very interested in making a difference in humankind. And that's a high value. And so that's something that's very meaningful. And so it's very easy for physicians and other healthcare professionals, I don't want to exclude nursing even easier, to put everybody else before myself. So there's that one last patient, even though I was supposed to go to my son's softball game, there's a pull to do that and not to be attending to those parts of well-being. And so that's a t- that's tough. It's a, it's a trait that a lot of us carry into uh, this culture. Yeah. And I think so helpful to, because both are true. There is a patient who needs you and there is a child, you know, a son's soccer game who needs you. And so to... I guess, be able to emotionally and mentally kind of process or anticipate and think through those sorts of things with a coach in a situation like yours. Like, okay, how do I acknowledge the reality of both of these, but also care for the one that is is of most important while not completely dismissing the patient? And so maybe that means we need to be more proactive in managing the schedule or the calendar or working with our staff. Like, let's not schedule a patient at 445 if that's the day I need to leave early, um, those sorts of things. Exactly. You just said it. You alluded a minute ago to kind of just the role that healthcare systems can play in this. And so I want to kind of unpack that with you uh, right after this break. Those of you wearing white coats to work every day, literally or figuratively, know how important your training, specialty, and income are to your future. But what happens if you get sick or hurt and can't work? The truth is that during the course of your career, you are three and a half times more likely to be injured and need disability insurance than you are to die and need life insurance. Disability insurance is one of the most important pieces to protecting the progress you've already made and the future you're building. But it's also one of the most nuanced types of insurance. 
If disability insurance is something you'd like to be more knowledgeable about, check out the free guide available for download from our sponsor, Spa Dameron Tenney, at their website, sdtplanning.com. Click on the Financial Resources tab to download the free guide to understanding disability insurance. This and every episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is sponsored by Spa Dameron Tenney, helping docs and dentists make smart decisions through comprehensive financial planning. Download the free guide to understanding disability insurance at sdtplanning.com. So Dale, you mentioned before the break, just the well-being that is so meaningful and healthy for physicians um, for their own well-being and wellness, um, but also for their patients is influenced significantly by the system that they operate in. And certainly many primary care physicians and frontline workers are often part of a larger healthcare system as opposed to being a private practice specialist or something like that. Can you start to unpack a little bit of the impact that the healthcare system has and the role they have in helping to foster a sense of well-being amongst their providers? Sure. Let let me start by just saying, I know that you've had shows about burnout, and I want to just say something about the definition of burnout. A way to define burnout is that it is a burnout happens when there's a mismatch between the individual factors that a person brings to the system they work in and the system factors of that system. So if I am an individual who likes a lot of autonomy and I do a certain kind of work and I join a company that is not, they're really into team, (laughs) that's not a good fit. That's a mismatch for me. So I want to start there because I don't want to, you know, it is, it is both. It's both. It's both the individual as well as the system. It's really easy to blame um, the system. The system, by the way, isn't just the healthcare system. There's a lot of other layers now beyond the healthcare system, including some regulatory issues as well as insurance, you know, uh, healthcare payer issues as well. So, having said that, you know there is this mismatch. So there's there, there's a possibility of a mismatch. Um, having said all that. Over the last 20 years or so, much more of burnout is because of systems factors and not as much individual factors. The main person who studied burnout, Christina Maslach, said back when she started, and she defined she defined burnout, um, back when she started, it was predominantly individual issues um, that were a problem for burnout. And now she would say it's by far, and especially in healthcare, mostly systems issues. Let me interrupt you there for just a minute, because I think this is something that at least I want to take a minute or two on. You're, you're totally right. Through the conversations we've had on this show with, with other providers, uh, I'm thinking of the conversation I had with Dyke Drummond last year on burnout. There, there certainly is plenty of ire and perhaps blame to be put on the system. But there are decisions and there are factors that contribute to burnout that, that are within the, the decision-making of the physician. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of those things that we just bring on ourselves that contributes to the sense of anxiety, stress, burnout, disillusionment? Yeah. So when I give this talk, I talk about common traits that physicians bring to this world. And we tend to be type A. We tend to be perfectionistic. We tend to be compulsive. We tend to, as I've already said, 
to be more others oriented before ourselves. And so there's a, um, that kind of combination that you bring to something that is imperfect, such as health and illness and disease is already a setup for, this is not going to go, this, this, this could not go well. There's going to be point at which when things don't go well, if I'm a perfectionist, and we know all physicians, we start looking at ourselves first, like, what did I do? Not what, you know, what did I do? So one of the ways that we get burnt out is because we are so, we, we can be so obsessive, so compulsive, so perfectionistic that we just keep looking for the answers. We, we ruminate, we carry that with us when we go home and when we go to bed and we can't let it go. So that's one of the traits that can happen. If we are over, uh, overly available, we get used up. Um, we're not available for our friends. We're not available for our family. We're not available to ourselves. And so those are all traits that, yeah, I mean, patients want those in their physicians. I want a perfectionistic doctor and I want somebody who will answer to my beck and call whenever. Um, and yet those traits that we maybe even be have some blind spots about those traits that we have. Those are all great setups for um, problems for burnout down the road. Good point. I didn't know where you were going to go with the answer to my own question, but I feel the word boundaries in a lot of your answer. Just being able to, with with your own internal integrity, form healthy boundaries around yourself so that you're not depleted or overconsumed or things yeah. like that. So we can move where I was, I think, taking the conversation back to the system. But I, I think it's important just before we just throw stones at all the external factors, many of which, in fact, we don't control. Like, don't miss the chance to look inside and see what might you be doing or what could you do to improve your own sense of um, of well-being. I'm really glad you asked because it's really easy. First of all, it's very easy for humans to, you know, have external locus of control. It's not me. <laughs> it's the system. It's the company that I work for. That's actually a lot of what I do in coaching is what are you bringing to this? You know, what, and it's not, it's not a blame game. It's about, you know, okay, this is who I am. And here's what I have to contribute. What do I, how can I mitigate that? So you had a fantastic guest on your show back in November, Paula Davis, who articulated very well these six root causes that drive burnout at the organizational level. And so addressing those issues would be ways that, that systems can um, assist. So those root causes, just to, just to remind you, were lack of flexibility like lack of flexibility in scheduling, the unmanageable workload, which is probably the number one complaint of physicians right now, this lack of community, a lack of sense of that we're all a team together, that we are supporting one another, we have a sense of belonging, and that we have a, 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 a single mission. A sense of unfairness is one of the root causes that drives it, so that if there's some inequities in the system, a values disconnect, like I'm working for this company, but they're kind of doing this thing that's not quite my values. And then finally, a lack of recognition. And I'm going to give my own little um, asterisk to that is authentic recognition. <laughs> this is sort of like the, um, yes, everybody deserves a trophy to some degree, but there can be like, um, there can be too much. No, you're doing a great job. It doesn't, if it's not really, filled with authenticity, really sort of um, articulating a story about how that person 
made a difference, then it can be kind of an empty sense of recognition. So those are the those are the root causes. So, and so, and so what can you do about it? Those are the things that they we're establishing. They're outside of the our control. Um, and by the way, I, I think it was episode 49 for those of listeners who want to go listen to um, the interview we did with Paula. Those are things that are out of your control and that are so contributing to this sense of burnout or, or stealing the sense of well-being. What can be done? So what can be done on the system level? Like yeah. should systems be paying attention to? So one thing is to be paying attention to those six root causes, but I think Dr. Tate Shanafelt, who's probably done more work than anybody in the country around burnout, what he will say is, is if you just sort of have a, you know, uh, let's throw spaghetti against the wall, we're going to look at all six of these, that's not going to be helpful either. So what organizations should do is assess, and they at Mayo, and now he's at Stanford also, they assess, assess, assess. Because different segments of the system may have, a, they may have, they do really well in one of those six root causes, but they're not in some certain other areas. So assess your organization's situation. And there are some assessment tools and Paula Davis has some in her book um, as well. There are some ways to assess in this particular part of the organization, here's what we need to do over here. We need to be doing this and then prioritize where to focus the energies. I'll give you a good example of, um, the flexibility one that I really like. There was a medical director up in Minnesota that I, who also was doing some work on burnout. He's a medical director of a clinic in addition to some other things that he did. And he just said, he just is like, it starts with listening. This is what you do very well, Shane. He starts with listening. He said, he brought the whole team together and he said, what, what's most stressful for you all right now? And what he learned was not what he was expecting. He said, what's most stressful was for the parents who have to go pick up a kid from daycare, finishing up their day so they don't get charged the $10 a minute, you know, after they're too late to pick up their kids. And so they said, well, what can we do about that? Well, what they came up with within less than an hour, the team, not him, what they came up with was if we can do some flexible scheduling so that those who have to pick up their kids from daycare can start earlier and then finish earlier, they could then go pick up their kids. They don't have to feel stressed about it. They, they're done, hands down, at least an hour before they have to pick up their kids. And the others said, yeah, that's fine. I'll come in later. I feel better about that anyway, because I, you know, that way I can get my kids off to school or you know, whatever that is. It's a nice little story of how just a small group can, even within a large organization, they were in a large organization, embrace that concept of flexibility. It's a great example because so often the solutions are about 90% listening and 10% cost instead of the fear that a lot of leaders have that to, to address something is going to be 90% cost or some big expensive thing. And so it it does take the, the commitment, the willingness to stop and ask the question, then listen. But so often in, in my experience and in the stories you're sharing and things like that, there, there are solutions that are available that, that don't require kind of rebuilding the whole machine or, or, or huge budget changes. Right, exactly. The other one I want to mention is um, kind of a shout out to some small groups. You know, they're not part of large healthcare systems, although you can do these in small groups as well. One of the groups that I consulted with, they came to me because they had a very clear intention of we're starting a new practice and we want that sense of balance in our, in our practice before they even opened. 
And they said, how do we do that? <laughs> how do we make sure that we don't get burned out? Because they both were, the two practitioners were burned out from before. And so they were they were intentional about this. So, so what, how can we make sure that we're being intentional? And what we arrived on was um, what's most meaningful in their work as a group? What is most meaningful? And how do we prioritize what is most meaningful? And then how do you, how will you keep coming back and making sure that you're continuing to attend to that and to be intentional about that? And, um, and so they do, they have it built into their system to touch base with not just how are we doing productivity wise, but how are we doing? How are we doing with our mission of bringing meaning to the work that we do and the, the work that we do for our patients? And what's, what's that conversation like? I'm curious, what, what are some of the results to this question of how are we doing or what makes us so meaningful other than just positively impacting our patient's health? Uh, well, I, I, I have to ask that particular group, but I imagine that when they say, how are we doing? They are at it. They started because they started this and they recruited, they recruited carefully the people that they work with together as a team. They created a sense of safety where people can talk about this isn't working for me. Um, and so what I imagine is happening in that group is that when they say, how are we doing, you know, overall pretty good, but here's where I need some help. And this isn't going well for me because I wanted to get out to go pick up my kid from daycare. How can we work around that? There is this sense of teamness to we are prioritizing our the balance of our work with the rest of our life. And so because that's our highest priority, we're going to sit down and work it out right now. And not just like you get you two go talk about it and figure it out. Yeah. That's my sense of what happens in that group. What things about the future of medicine give you concerns and what things make you hopeful? Yeah. So the things that make me hopeful are, and it's kind of answers to one of your other questions, is there's more and more awareness about the issues that all of us in healthcare are experiencing that create unwellness or un unwell-being. And there is work happening at very high levels of reducing that workload burden, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. There is work happening to reduce that, to improve the sense of team and engagement and a recognition that we, we can't, uh, sometimes you have to tell people you have to go home even though you wanna be here right now. And so there is a recognition, there's more and more recognition of that. And I think that from that, we will have more and more models of the kind of group that I just talked about um, uh, before. What makes me pessimistic is more on the um, healthcare economics and political level. I really think that we're still we're still pretty mired in a very fragmented health. I, I'm going to say non-system. I don't think it really is a system, but it's it's very fragmented, and because of that fragmentation, it makes it very difficult for people to navigate through. Increasingly, for the providers who are trying to help their patients navigate through too, as well. The fact that insurance plans, the same insurance company, changes their benefits from year to year. It's just a small example of how challenging that is. I don't see that changing anytime soon, though I want it to change. I don't see that changing anytime soon. That makes things really challenging. The layers of complexity continue to increase. At the same time, we're recognizing the impact that has on the individuals who are having to carry that out. Mm -hmm. There's no question that it seems that the, the physicians of tomorrow are needing to 
either bring with them into the profession or develop a different skill set than the physicians of yesterday in terms of um, adaptability and uh, certainly the technology use and things like that. But uh, there's a different requirement to continue to care for themselves and care for patients uh, in the coming system. Yeah, I agree. All right, unfold. All right, so last question I'll ask you for the day, uh, and that is your career has been one of huge impact on your patients, the system you were in, your colleagues. Um, all of us um, have accomplished so much um, based on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. And so my question to you is, uh, who would you like to shout out? Who has been uh, most impactful or is in your mind this minute in terms of just your your career and, and what you've accomplished that you'd like to give a little shout out here? Yeah, so there's there's two. The one that most comes to my mind is actually a mentor who is still a mentor. His name is Dr. Rick Kellerman. He was the family doc in Plainville, Kansas, when I went to the University of Kansas. And as a medical student, we all got shipped out to rural communities for a month or two and just hung out. And uh, Rick was the person who I hung out with, and he taught me way more about medicine um, than I learned uh, through the rest of medical school about some things that you and I are talking about, how to, how to have a fulfilling life, how to do what's meaningful and how to be really, really present with patients. Um, he's still a mentor. He's one of the ones who noted how lit up I was when I was talking about doing this well-being work because you're just lighting up. I said, yeah, I guess I should do more of that. So he's a mentor. The other one is actually a lots of people and those are my learners. So I've taught medical students and residents and fellows for over 30 years, I just have to say in the stage of my life, they inspired me. I mean, I, I realize they may say that they're standing on my shoulders, but there's a whole lot that I learned from them that not just the medicine, just about life and about how to coach people and how to mentor and to be inspired um, by what they're going through. I'm actually, that's one of the things I'm optimistic about the current group of residents that I've had the opportunity to work with really inspire me. They just really inspire me. That is excellent. I love both those answers um, and, and so grateful for the work that you're doing and the impact on our community and society uh, in the field of medicine. Um, Dr. Dale Waxman, thanks for being with me today to talk about physician well-being. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast. As uh, Dale mentioned, uh, and I interjected there earlier, if you haven't listened to the interview I did with Paula Davis, I think it's episode 49, and it was definitely a great conversation as well, so you can listen to that. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests that you think we ought to have on the show, I would love to hear from them. You can email me directly, shane at whitecoatwell.com. Uh, you can uh, find us on all social media channels. And as always, we welcome your reviews on iTunes and Google Play. I know all the podcast hosts say that, but it really helps us in the rankings so that when your colleagues are searching for uh, podcasts on uh, well-being or burnout or any of the other topics we've uh, discussed, then, uh, then the Prosper Stock Podcast will rise to the top. Thanks so much for being with us, and I'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.